The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 186 of the podcast. Are you joining us live here on YouTube? Today is Sunday, April 19th, and we're here to recap UFC 249. And that's it. We're done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me introduce my co-host all the way from quarantine, New Jersey, Jeff. The animal Wilson. Jeff, sorry, I, I had to do the UFC 249 recap before I even introduced you. I, I was just that anxious. How you feeling, my friend? Oh, I'm great, dude. Uh getting some reading done, watching TV, um, and you know, doing a couple of things for work, but nothing crazy. Um, so you know, I'm 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 not uh as freaked out as I originally was. Um you know, I was a little worried with stores and stuff because things have gotten a little out of control. But I think that the mass hysteria has kind of calmed down a little bit, at least here in New Jersey. Uh, there are a lot of cases. Actually, Bill, my town has the second highest number of cases in the state of New Jersey. So, um, you know, I'm not worried about it. I'm staying home for the most part. I am, you know, when I do go out, I'm being careful. And... Other than that, dude, I'm I'm reading for fun. I'm reading stuff that I wouldn't normally read during the school year because it's not educational. It's just stuff that has been on my list, but I just never had time to get around to it. So I'm enjoying reading again. Um, I was going to add something. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to UFC 249, uh, if you've been living under a rock, you picked a terrible time to come out, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> UFC 249 was canceled due to COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. But I don't know why people have a problem saying it. It's what's going on in the world right now. I mean, you can not say it, but it, it it's happening. So Yeah, it is happening. So just to put a timestamp on this in case anybody's listening to this episode years from now uh there is a global pandemic going on right now that has most people in the united states quarantined myself and jeff included um it, and you know people are dealing with it in different ways you know some people are out protesting because they feel like their their rights as americans have been infringed upon and other people are you know doing the right thing staying home and making sure this thing gets squashed um Meanwhile, Jacksonville, Florida opened up their beaches this weekend and like within 30 minutes, the beach was packed with people just so anxious to start spreading disease. Um, but, you know, leave it to Florida. You know what happened, Jeff, is people started protesting in the streets in Michigan and they're like, we're the dumbest state in the country. And Florida was like, stand aside. We gotta, we gotta, <laughs> we have to reassert our dominance here. Uh, <laughs> nobody's gonna out Florida, Florida, Jeff. To Bill, speaking of not being cautious or anything, um, I don't know how this happened. I think so, somebody had to have gotten paid off here, but the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment has been labeled as an essential business. 
why i don't know uh but somebody had to have gotten paid off vince mcmahon's got loads of money a bunch of wwe superstars have actually been let go this week and you know people are upset about it but you can't really blame the wwe um some people believe they're gonna get hired back when everything goes back to normal I personally, the superstars that I saw, I think there was one or two, there was actually like three that I was upset about. And this is a list of about 17 superstars so far. Yeah, well, there's a simple explanation for that, Jeff. Uh, Linda McMahon was a big contributor to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Uh, so that's why the WWE was deemed uh, essential during all of this madness that's going on. It's, you know... And like anything else, it's just a big political game and and who's writing the checks and, and who's pulling the strings for the checks that were written. And, you know, it, it's nothing new. It's just it just happens to be a little bit more in our faces right now because there's not a whole lot else to pay attention to. But, you know, there's dirty shit like this going on all the time, like pandemic or not. It's just like people actually have a little bit of time to pay attention right now. Um, it, it is all it comes down to. Um, so that's, that's what it is. Uh, and I believe Vince McMahon and Donald Trump are, are actually good buddies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tr Donald Trump's in the hall of fame. He was at, uh, he was at one of the WrestleManias. One of yeah. his guys had a match against McMahon's guy. And I think the loser had their head shaved. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that back in the day, back in the nineties and Donald Trump ap appeared in, uh, wwe a couple of times that was yeah who would have ever thought that that guy would go on and become president of the united states of america nobody would have predicted that but here we are it always makes me think of uh the back to the future movie mm. when when michael j fox goes back in time and and christopher lloyd says if you're from the future who's president in 1985 <laughs> and he says it's ronald reagan and he goes ronald reagan the actor <laughs> oh, man. i always think about that when i think about the fact that donald trump is our president in any case um i don't want to get too political on here jeff i i um i don't like to share my political views publicly because because it's just a hot mess right now and nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about so i i leave that to the pundits and, and we we talk about fighting things here so Circling back to UFC 249, it didn't happen, obviously. But I guess nobody told Tony Ferguson because he went out of his way to go and make weight. Uh, 155 on the nose. Championship weight, baby. He was champ shit only. Tony Ferguson's not <laughs> fucking around, man. Uh, I mean, you know, Khabib has missed weight when there's actually fights that are going to happen. And, and Tony's out here getting on the scale when there's there's nothing going on i, I mean i guess he had nothing better to do but um <laughs> it, it was, other than make weight yeah oh, uh, let me just let me just cut weight i'm bored i already binged through uh tiger king and uh <laughs> there's nothing else on amazon prime let me let me cut weight um but i don't think tony cuts a whole lot to get to 155, I don't think it's like a huge drop for him. He fights pretty close to to his natural weight, but yeah, I mean it was one of the only MMA headlines uh, of the week, you know, aside from UFC 249 being canceled. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Jeff? Does it make you think any more or less of Tony Ferguson, or or what did you think? Uh, not really. He would have made weight 
you know, regardless. And as a matter of fact, he did make weight regardless. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he's not somebody I was worried about making weight. Um, but, Bill, now that he has made weight and UFC 249 didn't happen, it's tiramisu time, baby. That's all <laughs> yeah, and now they're still talking about in May. They're they're talking about Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. And uh, I don't know if Russia's still on lockdown or if, if Khabib was just being difficult during all this, but it seems like they're just trying to cut him out of the picture. Um, any thoughts on that? Nah, I mean, we don't know how long this thing's going to go on for, Bill. Uh, so the UFC, to say that they have a date secured, I think is a little um, preemptive. It's it's not helpful right now. Like in New Jersey, this whole quarantine thing has been extended to May 15th. Uh, I was just reading about that uh, yesterday. So, you know, I think it's a little too early to be uh, – calling the shots here. I think that the UFC, like the whole entire world right now, is a beggar trying to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're just trying to stay positive and, and and try and push this thing along and and get business up and running. I know here in Florida, we're on lockdown through the end of April as of right now. Um, but, you know, that may change. You know, once they open the beaches and – like if they get a couple of cases of this thing as a result of that, I have a feeling we could be locked down a little longer. Uh, I know schools are closed through the end of the year here. Um, I, I imagine a lot of the country will follow suit on that, which is going to make it tough to open up everything else because how's everybody going to go back to work, uh, you know, while their kids are home and they need to be homeschooled. Mm. Uh, you know, some people can work from home, but then, when you start combining childcare with working from home, it just, that's a recipe for disaster. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what's going to go on. I, I do know that, um, you know, we'll keep doing our part, which by the way, Jeff, um, my, my company, which I, I never talk about on this show. I never mentioned, you know, what I do outside of MMA, but, uh, we have started producing some ventilator masks for people. Um, and those are available on our website, MarcellaGifts.com. Uh, we've been we've been donating them about three to one. So for every three, uh, for every one we sell, we donate three. Uh, there's no formula or anything. That's just the way it's been working out. We've we've been trying to get them to hospitals and and uh, people who need the masks. But uh, I just figured I'd throw that out there if anybody is in need. It's not something we're really promoting or anything, but you know, if you know people who are having a hard time getting hold of masks, uh, we, you know, we had the materials and we wanted to keep paying our employees. Um, so we, they, and they've been working from home. We got them sewing machines to make the masks at home and I go and drop off the materials for them and they, they've just been cranking them out. They've been doing a great job. So just figure I'd throw that out there. So again, that's MarcellaGifts.com. If you guys need to get a hold of some masks and I'll, I'll put a link up on the social media as well. And, that's about as much of my professional life as you're going to get out of me on this show, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair, dude. Um, and, you know, speaking of professional life, I hope I hope America, I hope you appreciate teachers a little bit more now. All right. Because now you know what it feels like to have to deal with your kid every day. Kid, <laughs> and you know what, Bill? I'm going on a rant here. That kid and, you know, present company excluded, but that kid that's not getting raised and. 
you know, who's not being taught manners and respect and, you know, to not speak when somebody else is speaking, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I got to also kind of compartmentalize here. You know, I know it's not everybody, you know, and I kind of feel for the parents who, uh, like you said, Bill, have to balance out childcare with, you know, working. And for those parents who are essential workers and are probably having a hard time finding childcare, those parents who uh, probably have like three jobs because it's just one parent in the household, you know, I feel for them too, Bill. But um, for those of you who have two parents at home and you don't have time to raise your kid, I don't know what you're doing. And Bill, of course, present company excluded. I know you guys take turns. Um, And it's tough. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm lucky I don't have kids. Um, I don't want kids, mostly because of teaching. Um, I think it's the ultimate uh, contraceptive is being a teacher. Um, and see, Bill, you're out of the game. That's why you wanted to have a kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it stopped me for having, from having a kid for the seven years that I was uh, <laughs> in the school system. Uh, you're absolutely right about that because the last thing you want to see at the end of a day of teaching is a kid. Uh, (laughs) so i i'm totally with you on that and even even myself with with my toddler it's been i don't want to say it's been a struggle like it it's nice that i've that i'm afforded the opportunity to stay home with her every day but man that daycare is so clutch man like i i've watched frozen and monsters incorporated so many times since this quarantine has started and and this song, like we try not to give her too much screen time. So, but she still loves the music, like the soundtracks from frozen and frozen too. Uh, it's been nonstop, man. You know, we, we've been doing the homeschooling, like we do her letters and numbers and colors and everything like that. But yeah, man, those frozen songs, they're, they're in here, man. It's like <laughs> they're on an infinite loop. <laughs> yeah, it's been nonstop. And I've tried to even introduce like we got the Disney Plus. And um, I try to introduce her to some some other movies. And it's always no. She wants monsters uh, and uh, and frozen. And, and she'll watch both of the frozen movies and both of the monsters movies, which at least mixes it up a little bit. And I don't mean to get political on here, Jeff, but I think monsters university is a better movie than monsters Inc. And that's the sequel. Mm. So, you know, I never watched the sequel. Uh, uh, it's I, it's yeah. pretty good. I got to say, I've watched it 500 times. <laughs> it's, uh, this is like the story of, of how Billy Crystal and John Goodman's characters meet in college. Mm, uh, and, okay. And they get like hazed in a fraternity and they almost get kicked out of school and they have to join like this scaring competition. Um, I'm building it up to be way better than it is because it's still, it's still, it's still just a kid's movie. But uh, I got to say, Jeff, I'm proud of my daughter that she's so into like monsters and scary stuff because like most kids wouldn't, wouldn't be interested in that. And uh, I'm, I'm a big horror movie guy myself. So this is a good first step. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can't wait till she's old enough where you can show her some slasher films, hmm. you know, going to Jason, Freddy. I tried. She's, you know, she's not ready. <laughs> Bill, she's two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh is that too young? <laughs> I must have skipped that chapter of the manual. Anyway, Jeff, we we're talking about championship weight before. So 
you and I were kind of brainstorming ideas to talk about here on the show, which we never do. We usually just, you know, click and rip, yeah. <laughs> as they say, and we talk about whatever's going on. We actually did some work to find something to talk about today. Uh, and, and it's a, a show that we've been talking about for years and an idea we've been talking about for years. And I had a harder time than I thought putting my list together. And, and the list that we both put together was our top five favorite fighters who have fought in the UFC and never won a UFC championship. That includes an interim championship. Uh, you know, they may have been champions in other organizations, but never got their hands on the UFC strap. Um, so we both put together our top five and we'll, we'll kind of bounce back and forth. I think you guys have kind of gotten the gist of how we do this format here. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get a little bit of, uh, MMA nostalgia. We'll give you guys some ideas for some old fights to go back and watch, uh, while you're stuck in quarantine. And, and of course, you know, give you a little bit of content here, uh, while you are stuck at home, uh, assuming you are, or if you're an essential worker and you're listening to us at work, you know, we definitely appreciate everything you're doing out there. Um, so you want to kick it off, Jeff? Give me your, uh, I, I have mine in kind of an order, but, uh, it's, it's loose. And I, I also have a bunch of honorable mentions. I know you do too, but uh, get us started here, kid. All right, Bill, this is a fighter that we can never agree on, even though he beat John Jones and should have won the light heavyweight championship. The first fighter on my list, Bill, one of my personal favorites, Jeff, Alexander. Matt, Matt Hamill never fought John Jones for the title. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> Alexander Gustafson, Bill, who is the rightful heir to the light heavyweight championship because he beat John Jones the first time. The second time, you know, I can't dispute that. He got knocked out. He started crying. Um, but who hasn't cried fighting against John Jones? DC cried. I, I believe he got submitted in that second fight. Was there a submission? might have been i can't remember but go back and watch that one both fights they were both really good um you know uh i, I felt like gustafson just you know in a different time man like any time where john jones was not in the ufc i think gustafson is a shoo-in for the light heavyweight championship uh really good boxing really clean striking and you know fast hands great footwork and Bill, the reason I'm such a big Gustafson fan is because his first loss in the UFC was to Phil Davis. It was a submission. I believe it was an anaconda choke. That was a good fight, too. Go back and watch that one. You were um, right, Jeff. It, it was a knockout in that second fight. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember because it, it just all happened so fast. But, um, yeah, so uh, his first loss in the UFC for Gustafson was against Phil Davis. And, you know, Gustafson had enough wherewithal, had enough fighter intelligence to realize you know something in my game is not working something's lacking so what does he do he starts training with phil davis he becomes a really um i, I don't want to say good because i can't really compare him to anybody but he does improve his wrestling by a lot at this point and this is leading up to the first fight against john jones and he took down john jones a couple of times in their fight uh, stuffed a couple of jones takedowns who you know i i think we can all agree is the better wrestler in that equation 
So for me, um, seeing Gustafson being so willing and so in love with the game to improve his own, uh, for me, that's always stuck out to me. Um, I, I've always loved fighters who who can kind of reinvent themselves and add to their game and not just stick to one dimension of it or, you know, not stick to just what brought them to the dance, as the saying goes. Uh, so, yeah, Bill, for me, my first pick is Alexander Gustafson. Uh, some great wins in the UFC. Uh, a, a lot of really enjoyable fights from Gustafson. So who's your first pick, Bill? Well, none of those wins in the UFC were against John Jones. <laughs> as the record shows. Uh, but he does have a win over Matt Hamill, who is the only person who on paper has a win over John Jones. Yeah, so, but I mean, if, if you haven't, okay, let, Bill, I'm going to address this. If you have, for those of you listening, if you've never seen John Jones versus Matt Hamill, go back and watch it because clearly John Jones won that fight. He should not have been disqualified. He dislocated Hamill's shoulder from, from the sheer beating that he gave him. Um, but Gustafson should have beaten John Jones. But he didn't. So... <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm going um my number five is uh is a purely emotional pick uh it, it's not anybody who is ever particularly close to winning a ufc title um uh, but it's joe lozon um mm. i would have always liked to see him get that opportunity just because he's one of my favorite fighters to watch the guy has never been in a boring fight both of his wars with jim miller are both classics. Uh, some of my favorite, some of my favorite fights to watch ever, uh, and go back and 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 watch the replays there, and and some controversial decisions as well. Always, you know, he, he's always been a fighter to just put everything on the line, and and he's always shot from the hip. Uh, I remember he beat. Um, Oh gosh, the guy's name is escaping me right now. The Polish guy. Uh, Polish guy. Mar Marcin, Marcin Held. Mm. Uh, he he beat him, won a decision, and when he was interviewed, he was like, I didn't win that fight. The the judges got it wrong. And I I've never heard that from any other fighter before or since. Uh just that that realness that Joe Lozon brings to the octagon. I I don't feel like uh you know, too many people have ever done that. Uh, and I've always appreciated that about him. I've always wanted to see him succeed. And, and a little caveat to this too, because I have, I had some other people I was toying with the idea of putting on this list, but, um, I, I still feel like they maybe have a chance to still win a championship. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to put, I didn't want to include them. Um, that's why Joe Lozon makes a list for me and just, um, you know, one, one of my favorite fighters of all time knocked out another one of my favorite fighters, Jens Pulver, who I was talking about last week, knocked him out before he even got into the UFC um, uh, or before he even got on the Ultimate Fighter, had a, a knockout win over Jens Pulver going into the Ultimate Fighter show. Uh, you know, Nate Diaz would ultimately win that season, but um, it was one of the earlier seasons. I want to say five, uh, four or five. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people who are newer to the sport, you may not be familiar with Joe Lozon. Uh, but if you're a fan of this show and you, you kind of trust that I know what I'm talking about, uh, 
go and look up some Joe Lozon fights and, and you won't be disappointed. Win or lose, that guy always put on a show. And I would have loved to see him get the opportunity to fight for a championship. And I don't think we're going to see that. And uh, I don't think he cares either. I think he just loves the sport and, and loves competing. And, and he's just that kind of guy, man. One of the realest dudes to ever put on the gloves and get in there. Uh, what, what do you got next, Jeff? So, Bill, this might be on your list too, but I'm going to take a chance. Uh, for me, another fighter who I would have loved to see as a champion uh, was Chael Sonnen, dude. Um, just because, uh, one, his first fight with Anderson Silva, absolutely legendary. Um, you know, we've talked about that a couple of times. That was on one of my personal favorite fights of all time. And, you know, Chael Sonnen... He could do everything, man. He could wrestle. He was, uh, you know, good with his hands. And he could talk, too. You know, that came a little bit later in his career. But uh, super entertaining, especially um, even after the UFC, man. If you go watch his interviews uh, building up to the Tito Ortiz fight in the UFC, man, he tore Tito Ortiz apart, man. Um, but And he was just so funny about it. And, you know, at the end of the day, when, when Chael retired, he was very humble about it. You know, he said, uh, he, he was, you know, his biggest disappointment is probably not winning a belt um, just because he promised his dad that he would, you know, before his dad passed away. So seeing that side of Chael Sonnen was also really, you know, interesting because at the end of the day, you know, these fighters, they, they build characters for themselves. But at the end of the day, they're also human. So, you know, seeing Chael, you know, never be able to win a championship in the UFC or Bellator, you know, it, it kind of stings. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I've been a big fan of his for a while. Um, so, you know, I, I would have liked to see him become a champion at some point. Uh, he's a great fighter. I don't think that he got the credit he deserved just because his record was very, um, it, it, you know, it was nothing impressive. It wasn't anything too standout-ish. Mm-hmm. I think he was like 30-something and like 19 losses. I can't remember his record exactly. Don't quote me on that. But, um, you know, he had some huge wins. He beat Brian Stan, uh, who I think Brian Stan is one tough customer, man. He, uh, He's probably one of my honorable mentions, too, Brian Stan. But, um, yeah, man, for me, Chael Sun, dude, without a doubt, I would have loved to see him as a champion. Yeah. Um, well, you guessed right. Chael was number three on my list, Jeff. So I guess I'll, I'll just talk about it here and I'll add a couple of points to what you were talking about. Yeah. Never won a championship in any organization and, and promised his dad, um, you know, even on his deathbed that he would, he would win a, uh, an MMA championship. In my book, he goes down as a champion because when he was in the WEC, he fought Paulo Filo. Uh, and Paul Filo was the champ at the time and he did not make weight. Chael Sonnen did make weight, went out and won the fight and didn't win the title. Uh, which, you know, if that were to happen in the UFC, uh, it wouldn't count as a title defense if Filo would have won, but it, it would count for Sonnen to win the belt if he won, because he did the right thing. He made weight, um, and, and he won a fight. Uh, and, and he would be totally justified in feeling that way too, that he was the champion because he beat the champion, but, um, because the organization didn't see it the same way. And, and Chael is just like a stand up dude, you know, despite the character that he played in the, in the latter part of his career, uh, he really is just a stand up dude and he's very by the book 
and a, a very underrated fighter, as you were saying, very underrated boxing. The way he mixed his wrestling in uh, uh, was was really a thing of beauty. The performance he put on against Anderson Silva in the first fight, you know, he he was a couple of minutes away from being a world champion. That fight dominated Anderson Silva, you know, one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, and then he'd had a couple of more opportunities, stepped up last minute to get in there with John Jones. Uh, I was there live for that fight in the Prudential Center in New Jersey. And, you know, he Jones was way too much for him, especially moving up in weight and everything. But, you know, John Jones did break his toe in that first round. Yeah. And uh, the, the referees, I guess, missed it or whatever. And Jones had to put him away. It was like do or die. And if he didn't, you know, maybe Chael would have gotten that that uh, fluke uh, DQ win or uh, injury TKO over John Jones, uh, and that would have totally rewritten history. But yeah, Chael Sonnen is up there on my list because um, I just always feel like he's been underappreciated as a fighter because people focus so much on the character he played and the shit he talked, and you know, he was one of the first to really bring that kind of wwe marketing mentality over to mma and he was very successful with it he still is uh you know as a broadcaster because he still kind of plays that character and and you know that's his bread and butter uh but yeah so i i skipped one on my list but i'll just uh flip three and four that the order doesn't really matter jeff and uh so yeah chael sonnen and I'll, I'll i'll turn it back to you um okay so this is somebody who could potentially win the belt in the future but because of the weight class that they're in he's a flyweight um you know that's that's kind of uncertain because i don't see cejudo going back down to flyweight uh and th this might change but for me uh joseph benavides is on my list bill um joseph benavides oh man i hear the cl the pen clicking was that on your list too no, 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 I'm just, I'm just keeping track of what your picks are. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So Joseph Benavidez, man. Um, I, I think team alpha male have such a great team bill and, you know, there's another team alpha male person on my list as well. Um, but you know, they just, I, I don't know how to put this. Like they run into these one or two guys like a Dominic Cruz or a mighty Mouse Johnson where they're so invincible in their time that I think that team alpha male just can't catch a break, man. Um, between Uriah Faber, Chad Mendez, um, uh, a couple of other guys, but between team alpha male guys, they probably had like eight to 10 title shots in a span of like four or five years. And the only person to win the belt was TJ. Only people to win the belt were TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. So, uh, you know, Statistically speaking, Team Alpha Male haven't done well, but they've always been at that upper echelon of fighters. And for me, Joseph Benavidez, man, uh, he ran into Mighty Mouse Johnson. Uh, you know, no, only one person beat him, and that was Henry Cejudo. And then he ran into Figueredo, and I felt like that was his kind of his last shot. He's had this. This is his third shot at the belt here. Lost to Mighty Mouse twice. Um, lost to Figueredo and it was just man it was so disappointing because he did everything right you know he made the weight 
but Figueredo was just too much for him. Uh, somebody who'd been tearing through the div division, and Figueredo didn't even make weight, so now there's not even a flyweight champion at this point. But um, yeah, for me, Joseph Benavidez, man, he's he's a journeyman. He's I feel like he's somebody who I would love to see as a flyweight champion, and I just don't think that's going to happen after the way Figueredo Figueredo starched him. You know, and building up to that point in the fight, I remember it clear as day, you know, Benavidez was not doing too much uh, effectively. You know, he was just eating counter shots and Figueredo just demonstrating his stay power where he could just stand in the middle of the octagon and, and just kind of hit Benavidez from wherever he from wherever Benavidez was. So really, really, I think he's just had some tough breaks, but I think he's such a great fighter, Bill. He's really up there, uh, especially in the flyweight division. I think he's one of the more exciting fighters in a division that, like we've spoken about a lot, Bill has been cleaned out by Mighty Mouse. Um, and I've always felt like Benavidez was, you know, when I heard Benavidez's name, I was like, all right, that fight I'm definitely tuning in for. <coughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I think we froze for a quick second here. Yeah, that's definitely a great pick. Um, and, uh, yeah, Joseph Benavidez is just one of those guys throughout his career, wrong place at the wrong time, you know? Um, and, and like you said, there was just that that the one guy like he couldn't beat. And uh, I think there's been there's been a bunch of those guys throughout history. And, um, you know, that's just the way it goes, man. You, maybe in like a different generation, you could have been the best in the world, but uh, because somebody else existed at the same time at the same weight class, it just wasn't in the cards for you. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to, I'm going to backtrack to my number four pick, uh, since I already talked about Chael Sonnen. And it's uh, ha also happens to be one of my favorite analysts right now, and that's Kenny Florian. Mm, good pick, good pick. <clears throat> uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, oh. Kenny is just, I think, just – a guy who got in it so early and, and he was a guy who, who was in the right place at the right time. Uh, uh, very often, you know, uh, when, when he got onto the ultimate fighter back in 2004, or 2005, whatever it was, the first season of the ultimate fighter, Dana White was going to a show to look at another fighter uh, to audition for the show. And he saw Kenny Florian and he's like, that guy is tough as shit. Uh, and, and put him on the show. Kenny Florian competed on that show and went to the finale at 185 pounds. Sheesh. Now keep in mind, Kenny Florian is a guy who later in his career finished his career fighting at 145 pounds. Um, so at that time he was fighting like above his walk around weight. Got in there with Diego Sanchez in the finale and, uh, it, you know, got TKO'd in the first round, but then would go on to have this great career where pretty much his only losses were in title fights. Uh, you know, he fought Sean Shirk for the title in 2006 uh, and, and gave Sean Shirk a run for his money. You know, Sean Shirk was a fucking beast at the time uh, as the as the lightweight champion cut him open bad. He had those nasty elbows, those Florian elbows. Um, he was like the Tony Ferguson of his generation. Uh, and then he would go on to fight BJ Penn at UFC 101. 
and he was doing really well against BJ Penn in that fight. Like he had the game plan to beat him. And then, uh, I, I guess it just kind of fell apart for him. I don't know if it was a mental struggle or, or whatever it was, but Kenny Florian was one of those guys who could perform at the peak every single time, except when he was fighting for a title. And then the only non-title fight loss he had was against Cray Maynard. Uh, and then in his last fight, he fought Jose Aldo uh, for the for that featherweight title and came up short in a decision loss. But uh, Kenny Florian, so three title fights throughout his career, uh, came up short every time. But I also feel like um, because he got in the game so early, he spent so much time like trying to figure out the right things to do. You know, like if he had gotten into it now, and and, and you use his skill set and you know proper nutrition and, and weight cutting and everything like that and he could have done his whole career at 145 i think it would have been a different story but maybe not because you know maybe he still would have run into a jose aldo or a max holloway and, and that guy that he just couldn't have beaten um but i i was always a fan of kenny florian uh you know same same as joe lozon in fact he fought joe lozon in 2008 and, and finished him uh, TKO'd him, uh, always went out there to finish fights. That famous Kenny Florian post-fight speech where he's like, I, I finished fights. <laughs> and it, it's hap it, uh, happens to be in the intro to his podcast, the Anakin Florian podcast, which I really only listened up through, uh, Ray Longo's bit on that, on that podcast. I, I turn it off after that. Um, but Kenny Florian, to this day, one of my favorite analysts, just the way he breaks down the sport is just amazing. And his skill set was top-notch, man. He was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Well, he still is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he had that Mark Del Grotti, uh tie boxing behind him. Uh, so he really developed some nasty striking the elbows, cutting people open later in his career. Um, and, and he's just always been high up there on my list as guys that – you know, I would have liked to see him achieve that championship, but it just wasn't in the cards for his career. But I'll always remember him as one of the best ever. Yeah, dude, that's a great pick, man. Uh, Kenny Florian, dude, he, another guy who's in the upper echelon of UFC fighters. And, you know, Bill, those guys that you mentioned, they were all legends, man. And, and you know, Ken Flo himself is a legend. But those guys in their day were unstoppable. Jose Aldo, BJ Penn in his prime, and uh, Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk. Oh, man, dude, like... Dude, just hearing his name, like I get goosebumps because you know Sean Shirk was a was an animal. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, it seemed yeah, it was a muscle shark. I, already, I didn't even know that shark. was a thing. You know, but uh, it was a thing. His name was Sean Shirk. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, man, Sean Shirk in the lightweight division. Uh, that brings back some good memories. Uh, I, I wasn't a fan of the UFC at the time, but I've gone back and watched some of his fights, and he was just tearing that division apart, man. Um, yeah, dude. So some tough luck for Ken Ken Flo there. Um, you know, and especially if you're more of a newer. UFC fan, and you probably have seen Kenny Florian uh, doing commentary for Fighting Robots. You know, before that, he was, <laughs> um, you know, very talented fighter, especially, you know, he fought in like four weight classes, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you don't hear about that anymore. Um, 
Same with BJ Penn. He fought in like a couple weight classes too. Uh, I remember when he fought Lyoto Machida at like light heavyweight. Yeah. That was insane. But anyway, um, my next pick is uh, a female fighter who I think, man, just I think life kind of got in her way. For me, it's Kat Zingano. Uh, the lab bill, I'm always going to talk about her, the last person to beat Amanda Nunez. Uh, you know, she had a title shot, Kat Zingano against Ronda Rousey, and she kind of just, I, I don't know if it was, you know, too many lights, um, but she, you know, she she ran up to um, Ronda Rousey with a flying knee, just, you know, left her feet, and Ronda caught her in, in an arm bar as she, as, you know, this was Ronda when she was beating people in like 35 seconds. And, you know, Katzingano said in the post-fight interview, you know, I I messed up. And, you know, she she kind of knew she jumped the gun a little bit. But for me, Katzingano's thing has just been, you know, she she's an awesome fighter. But uh, her real-life problems, you know, just, you know, it's stuff that, you know, no person going through that would, you know, fighting was probably the last thing on her mind. You know, her husband passed away. Um so it's just her raising her son. She, I think she tore her ACL or something, just a bunch of stuff. Um, and just, you know, uh, another fighter who, again, you know, just tough breaks, um, bad luck. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, the, uh, the kind of recurring theme in our list here, Bill, all these fighters are, they were great fighters. They are great fighters, you know, but just, you know, one or two things um, that you, they just, you know, couldn't get around. Uh, so for me, Kat Zingano, um, you know, really tough chick, man. Just her wrestling is great. Uh, her, she was really developing her striking and just able to mix it all together. And dude, I always, think back to that Amanda Nunez fight because that fight was right after uh, her husband passed away and you know Kadzingano was losing that fight she was getting picked apart in the first two rounds and in the third round Bill she you know uh, Amanda Nunez was on top and and Kadzingano just there was something inside of her that wouldn't give up Bill and she was able to reverse the position you know get on top of Nunez and just pounded her out and just made Nunez quit you know the the way that she won uh it was just so fascinating to me you know being able to have that mindset to you know not surrender and make Nunez kind of just conk out here for lack of a better term uh for me you know Zingano she's one of my favorite fighters and you know I, I hope to see her back someday but I don't think that's gonna happen you know she's up there in years uh, I know she wants to raise her son so you know might not happen yeah, yeah, that's a great pick. And I think a lot of people don't understand, especially newer UFC fans who see Ronda Rousey with this WWE persona. Maybe they started watching like right around the time she got knocked out by Holly Holm and knocked out by Amanda Nunez. But she was the Mike Tyson of women's MMA where girls were were already beaten before they even got in the cage with her because of what she was doing to people arm barring them in 40 seconds and, and everything like that. And, um, it, it was a lot of mental and it, it all went away when she got knocked out by Holly home. And I think a lot of people really forget that. Um, you know, when Holly home came in and played Buster Douglas to, uh, <laughs> Ronda Rousey's, uh, 
Mike Tyson. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's another one of those things. If Ronda Rousey doesn't exist, you know, you could go in a lot of different philosophical directions with this. Like does women's MMA even survive if Ronda Rousey doesn't mm -hmm. exist? Um, but if she doesn't, does Kat Sangano go, go on to be the greatest, you know, women's MMA fighter of all time or, or do her personal issues get in the way? Or, um, I remember Kat Sangano beating the fuck out of Misha Tate, who oh, yeah. in my book is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, you know, pound for pound, one of the hottest fighters to ever do it. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so good pick there. Um, my number two, I switched at the last second. I had somebody else and I moved them to my honorable mentions and I went with Nick Diaz. Mm. Um, and this was a tough one for me because Nick has had such a strange career, but at the end of the day, he got in there with some of the best ever. He was in there with George St. Pierre, went the distance. He was in there with Anderson Silva, went the distance, lost a close decision in a fight where not a whole lot happened, and then it got overturned because Anderson Silva, not only was he in there with Anderson Silva, he was in there with Anderson Silva on steroids. Um, So, you know, that fact alone, he was able to go the distance with a guy who tested positive for steroids and was killing everybody. Um, you know, granted, this was after Anderson Silva broke his leg. Maybe it wasn't the same Anderson, but it was still Anderson. It was a juiced-up Anderson, and Nick Diaz got in there with him. Uh, Strike Force welterweight champion, WEC welterweight champion, was just never able to quite get there in the UFC. And I, I, I say Nick over Nate because I feel like Nick had more of a championship resume mm -hmm. and, and just the fact that he got fucked over so many times, you know, a five year suspension for marijuana yeah, yeah. and, and all the dumb shit, all the hoops they made him jump through getting his Gogo Plata submission of Takanori Gomi overturned because of weed. Um, one of the most spectacular submissions of all time in yeah. a great fight. That was a fantastic fight over in uh, over in Japan. So if you guys have never seen that, definitely go back and watch Nick Diaz versus Takanori Gomi. Another guy who fought in multiple weight classes. You know, his last fight of his career was against Anderson Silva at 185. He was a welterweight champion, strike force in WEC, like, he's, like I said. Fought George St. Pierre at welterweight, went to distance with him. Uh, had a win over his last win was over BJ Penn. Uh, you know, and that was in 2011. So arguably a still dangerous BJ Penn, not like a BJ Penn today, Jeff, where like, <laughs> you know, a bouncer from a strip club could get in there with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I was on the fence about including Nick Diaz just because he had so much weird shit going on in his career. But, um, I feel like at the end of the day, his resume is deserving of a UFC championship and it was just never realized. Um, so I, I wanted to throw him back in there, by the way, the person I took off my list to substitute with Nick Diaz was Vanderlei Silva. So I'll put him as a honorable mention because Vanderlei Silva and, 
And and there's a big asterisk next to Vanderlei Silva because when he was axe murdering people in Pride, he was so high on cocaine and steroids. Uh, and, and granted, everybody was that. That's just not going to transition to the UFC. And like when we finally got his matchup with Chuck Liddell, that was built up for years and years. You know, those of you who were who have been MMA fans for a long time, you know how long we wanted to see Vanderlei and Chuck, and it, it got built up so much. And we finally got to see it. It was a fucking dud. Uh, it was one of the it was one of the bigger disappointments ever. We wanted to see them when Vanderlei was in Pride and all coked up and like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, just ready to murder people, fighting sixteen times in a night, and then fighting people backstage. Um, but when I when I really started to think about it, like, was his behavior really like? <laughs> championship like is that the guy you want to see is the champion of the world like no it's a coked up animal who used to get in there and fucking murder people and it was entertaining to watch but i wouldn't want to put any accolades to to what he did but by far this probably one of the scariest dudes we're making a top five scariest dudes ever vanderlei uh in pride has to be on it and uh i i had the opportunity to meet him at at a uh, bare knuckle boxing a couple months ago and, and he was an awesome dude. He's really good to me and a uh, really cool guy and probably going to end up doing bare knuckle box. <laughs> uh, oh, but um, in any case, Nick Diaz was my pick. So uh, let's hear it, Jeff. Who's the number one? Oh man, Bill, I'm scared to say, cause I think he might be your, he might be on your list too. Um, so Bill, uh, uh, hold on. How do I put this? Um, I'll give you the name. If it's not on your list, I'll talk about him. But if he is on your list, I'll let you talk about him because I couldn't do him justice if he's on your list. I have um, a feeling I know who you picked. Can I guess? Yes. Is it Uriah Faber? No. Oh. <laughs> it's oh. Dan Henderson. Oh, yeah. He's my number one, too. <laughs> All right. So I'll leave that one to you. But um, uh, for me, it is it is another member of Team Alpha Male. It's actually uh, – and Uriah Faber is uh, honorable mention on here just because he's had so many title shots and he's never dropped lower than, like, number two in the rankings. But uh, for me, it's Chad Mendes, um, another Team Alpha Male member. Uh, and, uh, dude, Chad Mendes – He's a monster, man. And um, he got screwed over a little bit after that, like, two-year suspension for uh, whatever it is that was in his system. Um, and, you know, if you saw if you saw it as proven nothing, it's that it's that sometimes the tests are a little too good. Um, you know, I felt, and I'm with you on the Nick Diaz comments as well. You know, Nick Diaz, he really got screwed over by the commission, man. Um you know, a five-year suspension over something, you know, rather minuscule, you know, maybe a year, year and a half tops, I think would have been fair. Uh -huh. um, but five years is excessive, man, especially when you look at guys like John Jones, who, you know, has, a f and, and I don't want to get too much into this, but, you know, numerous offenses kind of stacked on top of each other. And I think the highest suspension he got was like, two years or like a year and, and six months or something. But anyway, um, dude, he, he got more slaps on the wrist than a, than a third grade classroom in the nineties when slap bracelets were in fashion. Yeah, dude. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, for me, I feel like Nick Diaz really kind of got shafted. Um, and, and that Takanori Gomi fight is one of my favorites, dude. Um, I, the first time I saw that fight, the next day I was trying to hit, um, Gogo Plata's on people. I, I managed to get one. So it was, it was a really fun day. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, dude. Um, Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, I don't really count it because it was like a newer person and I was kind of being a dick. But, I mean, it, it was cool to like, and then I tried it again against someone more experienced and they just stood right up because I didn't, uh, I missed part of the move. But, um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I digress. So for me, Chad Mendez, um, really good fighter, especially towards uh, the latter half of his career where he added striking to his game. And this is like before he got knocked out by Frankie Edgar. He was tearing up the 145-pound division. Um, unfortunately, you know, same problem that some of the other guys on our list have run into. He ran into Jose Aldo twice, um, you know, and in the second fight, he can be argued that he could have used his wrestling a little bit more effectively. Um, but, you know, he wanted to stand up with, with Aldo, which I don't really blame him for. I felt like his striking had really, really grown and had become, you know, very effective in that division. You know, ran into Conor McGregor, another tough customer. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm not a big fan of Conor McGregor, but I got to give credit where it's due. You know, he's a good fighter. Um, and... Then he ran into Frankie Edgar, who, you know, another person who is at the top, former lightweight champion. Um, and, you know, I, I was actually a little shocked when Frankie knocked Chad Mendes out. I didn't think I I thought Frankie could win, but I never thought it would be in that fashion. So for me, Chad Mendes, dude, um, you know, he kind of reminds me of Sean Shirk in a lot of ways, just more because of how he's built physically. But yeah, Chad Mendes, dude, somebody who could probably fight at 135, uh, but he, you know, he likes to fight at 145. And dude, um, you know, and especially in his later fights, just the way he he became such a good striker, dude. And like, a, like once, um, what's his face? Once Dwayne Bang Ludwig showed up, you know, I felt like everybody in Team Alpha Male, all their striking improved by miles and miles. Um, that includes Joseph Benavidez and Uriah Faber. So for me, um, I, I don't know if we'll see Chad Mendes in there again. Uh, he he got knocked out pretty bad by Frankie. And then I think he had another knockout loss after that. Um, but yeah, dude. Uh, he, he is officially retired right now. Oh, he is? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dude, for me, uh, yeah, Chad Mendez, man. Like I, I just, I felt like, you know, kind of the recurring theme here If Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor and Frank Edgar hadn't gotten in his way. I think, I think, you know, history would be a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, I would probably put Uriah Faber ahead of Chad Mendez, but it, it's, it's one I didn't really think about. Uh, just because Faber was a champion in other organizations and just yeah. was always so close. And like you said, never ranked below like number two and fought into his forties and, and won fights in his forties, I believe. Yeah. 39 Finished fights in his forties. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, my number one is Dan Henderson. And, um, no matter how many times, you know, if you catch me on a different day, this this list will look completely different. Uh, but Dan Henderson will always be at the top uh, just because 
remembering watching him back in pride and, and watching him do the things he did. Uh, you know, he was a wrestler, Olympic caliber wrestler, uh, competed in two Olympic games, finished uh, 10th and 12th respectively, I believe. Uh, Greco-Roman style wrestler. Uh, you, you know, he did compete in freestyle a little bit, but was more known for that Greco-Roman style. But man, that fucking overhand right. When, when you talk about like some of the greatest singular weapons in the history of MMA, like you have to, you have to bring up the Dan Henderson right hand, man. He used to just walk out there with that thing, like, <laughs> like winding it up. Like I'm going to throw this right hand at your face oh, man. and try and stop it. Uh, you know, he did go through a period of his career where he was known as decision Dan and he was winning a lot of decisions, but man, when he landed that H bomb, especially against Michael Bisping in the first fight, one of the most, spectacular knockouts of all time. If we were doing our top five favorite knockouts, this would probably be at the top of my list as well. Uh, when he knocked out Bisping, I think, was it UFC 100? Uh, I think mm, it, I'm not a hundred percent. I'm pretty sure it was. Didn't he fight uh, Anderson Silva on that one? Let me see. Got it here in front of me. It was it was UFC 100. He knocked out Michael Bisping, and oh, then uh, he left for a little while. He went over to uh, Strike Force, where he knocked out Fedor with that big right hand. Um, at, at, at heavyweight, you so here's another one of these guys. Like the, the weight class didn't matter. Like he he just wanted to fight. He was the welterweight and middleweight champion in pride, which if you're just Googling that, that can be a little bit deceiving because welterweight in pride was 185 and middleweight was 205. Uh, yeah. So anybody who sees that and thinks that Dan Henderson fought at 170 pounds, that's not correct. Um, pride had different weight classes. So when you yeah. see like welterweight champion of pride, that was actually what we consider a middleweight had a couple of opportunities at UFC gold fought Anderson Silva got submitted by him. I was really rooting for him there, but that's when Anderson Silva was basically unbeatable. Um, and, and then, you know, he had the rematch against Michael Bisping, uh, which it seemed like it was destiny because Dan Henderson was ranked like 14th at the time. Bisping wins the title from Luke Rockhold and he wants to avenge his loss against Dan Henderson because it was so embarrassing. Highlight real knockout. So he calls out Dan Henderson and it seemed like destiny. Dan Henderson gets this last opportunity to, to come off the bench out of like semi-retirement and fight for a title. Um, and beats the shit out of Bisping, like really busted him up good in that fight, but loses the decision. Um, but yeah, man, one of the first double champs ever welterweight middleweight champ, or as we would call it, middleweight light heavyweight champ in, in uh, in pride. Uh, and then was the, uh, strike force light heavyweight champion as well. Um, so, 
for I I don't know if it's just like an emotional thing or or just because I I watched it you know I watched his wars with Vanderlei Silva, I watched like the crazy shit that he went through in his career when he beat Vitor Belfort in Pride, uh, you, you know you could just go go down the list when he knocked out Fedor, his epic fight with Mauricio Shogun who at UFC one thirty nine. Where, where they both almost killed each other. Uh, that, that's one of the greatest fights of all time. I, if it's not in the Hall of Fame as a singular fight, then it should be. Um, yeah, the rematch was great too. His knockout of Akira Gono in Pride. Um, you know, got in there with uh, Noguera. Uh, has a win over, a knockout win over Henzo Gracie. Uh, just like an insane career. Um, and, and fought well into his forties. I think he was forty-six when he retired. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So when I think about um this topic that you and I have brought up a couple of times over the years, Jeff, like Dan Henderson is just always the the one that comes to mind. Like he's the number one that should have been a UFC champion with with all the skills that he had. And everything that he accomplished throughout his career, like it just should have happened and it didn't, um, you know, it just never lined up. Like he was, when he was on the top of his game, he just didn't happen to be in the UFC at the time, but very well could have been the best fighter on planet earth in several weight classes. Um, and just a, just an all around tough son of a bitch, man. Um, you know, came from that old team quest where they, they just used to, beat the brakes off of each other every day. And that's how they, that's how they practice fighting. They would just fight each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know, we got Chael Sonnen uh, on both of our lists as well. So obviously that team quest was doing something right. Uh, because it, they got two guys who, who made both of our lists. A um, couple of honorable mentions. I had uh, Cowboy Cerrone mm. uh, was a guy that I, I would have liked to see him win a title. Um, you know, probably got those title shots that he had, you know, more because he was so marketable uh, and, and not for his fight resume. And and maybe will continue to do so. You know, he's probably always one or two wins away from a title shot, and and anything can happen. Um, Uriah Faber is definitely up there for me. I yeah, remember, absolutely. I remember he him being so dominant in those lighter weight classes before they existed in the UFC probably should be considered a UFC champion just because he was a champ in the WEC, uh, you know, before those weight classes existed in the UFC. So he was the best fighter in that weight class at the time. It just so happens that that weight class didn't exist in the UFC. And then, you know, by the time they did adopt it and by the, U uh, the WEC, um, Faber was a little past his prime. And another one, Jeff, that, um, somebody I thought about, but I didn't include him on the list because I feel like there's still time. But uh, when I put this question out on Twitter, this name came up a lot too. And that's Gilbert Burns, mm. uh, who I always talk about. I was glad to see that name pop up because I always talk about as one of the most underrated names in combat sports. Um, and, and another one of these guys who kind of fits the theme of everything we've been talking about, you know, he'll fight any weight class, uh, he'll fight last minute. He'll get in there with anybody, uh, grappling, MMA, boxing, like you name the rule set and Gilbert Burns will show up. Um, so yeah, hopefully, 
uh, you know, there is a, a championship uh, in, in the future of Gilbert Burns. And then another name that came up a bunch on Twitter was uh, Gilbert Melendez. Mm. Um, so I thought that was another good choice. Gilbert, uh, you know, was a, a legend and just another one of those guys who like, it was just always somebody a little bit better. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I was thinking of Gilbert Melendez too, and and Jake Shield as well is probably on my um, uh, honorable mention list. But I, I didn't go with them just because uh, they were champions in other organizations. Mm. Um, whereas a couple of my picks, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, they weren't in Strike Force or they didn't fight in the WEC days. Yeah. But Gilbert Melendez is a good pick, man. Uh, he was tearing up the 155-pound division up until, you know, Strike Force got bought out by the UFC, and then they were kind of doing um, their Strike Force champions versus the UFC champions, which I thought was awesome. You know, we saw Gegard Musasi in there. <clears throat> um, well, for me, Gegard Musasi is probably on my honorable mention list too. He's an awesome fighter, uh, but he ran into Uriah Hall a couple of times. Um yeah, dude. Uh, and it's funny because some of the guys that probably would have been on my list weren't just because like later on in their careers, they won championships um, like Michael Bisping definitely would have been on my list if he hadn't won uh, against Luke Rockhold. Uh, somebody else who's on my honorable mention list. You know, uh, I have a lot of uh, similar names that you do with Gilbert Melendez and Uriah Faber. But for me, Dan Hardy, man, uh, Dan Hardy was a tough dude. And up until he run in, ran into George St. Pierre, he was tearing up that welterweight division. But, you know, GSP and Anderson Silva, they were beating everybody in their time. So, you know, can't really – it's like that X factor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I had a lot of guys who, you know, for whatever reason, when they came over from Pride – uh, you know, they were killing people over there. And then like, a, you could say it was adjusting to the cage. You could say it was the drug testing, whatever. But, um, you know, they just, you know, they were killers over there, but then they came to the UFC and like, just weren't as good. And, and you don't really know what to attribute that to. Miracle Crow Cop comes to mind. Mm -hmm. We thought this guy was going to come over and, and murder everybody. Yeah. Um, Shogun Hua was another one who... He did win a championship until he ran into a guy called John Jones. Um, but still, if you knew the the Shogun from Pride, you would think you would think that the Shogun that that came to the UFC was a softy. And they, the Shogun in the UFC was a fucking murderer, but the Shogun in Pride, that dude was a fucking serial killer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, dude. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, and I don't know if this has is a factor, but like a lot of those guys that you mentioned, Bill, they spent a lot of time in Pride. I'd say that they spent their the prime of their careers in Pride. So yeah. when they came over to the UFC, they were kind of on like the kind of the wrong end of their career. Um, because you know, I I thought Shogun who uh, maybe one of the exceptions because he was kind of a little younger coming into the UFC. But I don't know. You can't discredit Shogun Hua just because he was in this, like, light heavyweight. Um, how do I explain this? It, it was kind of like a ring toss, man. Uh, yeah. Like hot potato with the light heavyweight championship up until John Jones came along. Where first it was like Forrest Griffin. And then it was, who was it? Was it Rampage who beat him? 
No, uh, maybe it might have been Rashad Evans or Shogun, but like there there was a couple years where like only one person, um, like they could only get they would win the belt and then they would lose it in their next fight. Yeah. So it, it was a really weird time for the light heavyweight division. Really exciting time though. He had like five champions in the span of like two or three years. Yeah, um, after Chuck Liddell lost the title. Yeah. It kind of changed hands a bunch of times until John Jones came along. And then if John Jones didn't have his personal issues, who knows the people like we might have, have been talking about Daniel Cormier on this list right now. Um, you know, if Jones, oh, yeah. Yeah. if Jones never fucked up his life and, and Cormier didn't have the opportunity to come in and win that title and then go on to win the heavyweight title, you know, he probably wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to go win that heavyweight title. If he didn't win the light heavyweight championship, if, if John Jones didn't stand aside, um, you know, unwillingly. So yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of different directions we could have taken this and I'm going to throw one more curveball at you, Jeff, just to tie things up here. I read a recent article. It was an interview with Anderson Silva where he talked about, um, how he was ready to retire before he fought Chris Weidman for the first time. And Dana and Lorenzo, bought him a Bentley, like a $174,000 Bentley. Uh, and he took it. They didn't say it explicitly, but he took it as they wanted him to keep fighting. So he took that fight against Chris Weidman, the first one where he got knocked out. And uh, he told his wife before that fight happened, uh, you know, if I win, I'm done. I'm going to retire. Um, so here's, here's my question, Jeff. If Anderson Silva retires, in 2012, before fighting Chris Weidman, does he go down as the greatest of all time? Um, I mean, I think he goes down as the greatest of all time now. You know, uh, you know, you have to you have to take in a full body of work here because there was a lot of rich history that you know maybe newer fans don't remember. When I say newer fans, I mean like after 2015, um, because up until that loss, Bill. He was tearing up that entire division. He had cleaned up that division. I honestly thought that Chris Weidman was a sacrificial lamb going into that fight. A lot um, of people did. Yeah, and then, dude, uh, I still, uh, man, I remember doing so much research the day after because um, one, I couldn't believe it, and two, there were conspiracy theories. People thought that um, Anderson Silva had sold the belt to Weidman's team. Um, so uh, I, I'll be honest with you, Bill. I don't think that this changes anything for Anderson Silva's legacy. You know, I think that um, that was a time, and and I try to take the the history of MMA in like eras. Um, so that was kind of the end of Anderson Silva's era. But you also saw a lot of champions at the time losing their belts. Um, it was kind of a passing of the guard. And that was starting with Chris Weidman. It, it started a period of time where there were like only one or two Brazilian champions. And, you know, I'm speaking more to the fans here because, Bill, you, you know, you know more about this than I do. But there was a time where like the only Brazilian champion was Jose Aldo, whereas, you know, before that, it was Anderson Silva. You had um, some Brazilian female fighters as champions as well. And, you know, that, that kind of started this shift in MMA where a lot of the champions were Brazilians. But 
uh, I guess MMA in the United States kind of caught up in terms of grappling and everything because a lot of the Brazilian fighters were pretty, pretty effective at grappling. And, you know, the United States kind of just caught up in the MMA game and mixing everything together. So there was a real changing of the guard during that time period. Um, when, when, uh, Anderson Silva lost the belt. You know, it wasn't just him. It was a couple of champions. Like, GSP uh, stopped fighting a little bit after that. So, uh, really, really interesting time if you look at the UFC as a whole. So, I that's why I don't uh, really know how to answer your question. Um, but I guess the short answer is no, because I think he's already one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say definitely top five. You know, John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, I think, yeah. have to be in anybody's top five. A lot of people would probably include uh, Mighty Mouse in there as well. And then uh, however you round out that top five is, is you know, kind of up to you. You know, uh, Fedor comes to mind when you think of the greatest ever. Um, yeah, but I, I thought it was interesting when I read that because – it's like he kind of had it in his head that he wanted to retire. He wanted to spend time with his family. And then, you know, once somebody starts to think that way, you know, they're not really going to perform at their peak. So did he fight Chris Weidman because he still had something to prove for his legacy? Or did he fight Chris Weidman because somebody bought him a Bentley and made him feel guilty? Bill, I'll fight whoever you want for a Bentley, man. So. <laughs> I know you will, Jeff. That's why I keep you around. Uh, I'm still working towards that Bentley, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a Hot Wheels. Send you a Hot Wheels Bentley. Um, yeah, man. All right. So we hit well over an hour, which you know was surprising to me. You know, still trying to give people content during this thing. Um, trying to be. Uh, a little bit consistent in, in a world that has very little consistency right now. So I hope everybody is staying safe, uh, you know, doing whatever they have to, to provide for their families and keep their families safe. And, um, you know, it's wild times out there and, uh, you know, we're, we're here to, to distract you for an hour a week and, and uh, a little more if you need it. You can reach out to us on social media if you need to talk about anything, especially booze and fighting. Um, it, it happens to be what we like talking about the most. Uh, so so hit us up. You can reach Jeff at Animal underscore Wilson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can reach me at MMA on the Rocks uh, everywhere on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. You can send me an email, MMAontherocksGmail.com. And that's it. Let us know what you guys are thinking and drinking out there while you're all quarantined and uh, waiting for the world to come back to normal, whatever that means. All right. Until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>